Hi and welcome to the Habits Habit Podcast. My name is Brian Conroy and I am your host on a podcast about habits, happiness and human behaviour. On this podcast we talk to experts, we talk to thought leaders, we talk to scientists and we also talk to radio presenters. My guest this week is Dave Moore from Dermot and Dave on Today FM, uh, who is a multi-award winning radio presenter, a musician and a very nice bloke. Uh, he's also a lot more besides. Um, you might be wondering why am I talking to Dave? Well, I'll explain a little in the podcast itself. But part of the um, thing that's curious about habits and the podcast is how successful people, which I think most people will agree Dave is, become successful. And how much of a role do habits play in that? Uh, are people who are successful automatically kind of can we assume they have good habits or that habits play a large role in their life? And also, uh, it's an interesting insight into sort of the life of someone who uh, when first asked about habits said I have no idea about habits I don't habits aren't a thing for me um, and that there was really that that got me interested in really talking to Dave because I'm like well how can someone who's uh, had the career that Dave has had today have I just I don't know I just thought there was something there so we had the chat and look spoiler alert I was right uh, let's dig in this is Dave Moore from Dermot and Dave on Today FM I, I first hit up Dave to get some numbers of people that I knew 100% were interested in habits and had stuff to say about habits uh, and then a throwaway comment from me to Dave was uh, I don't want you to feel left out if you've got any great thoughts on habits uh, you're welcome on the podcast uh, it was only when he said uh, no I don't that I thought well actually that that proves an interesting question because um, I think a lot of people think that, or, or the, the point is a lot of people don't think about their habits at all, so they're not really aware of them, they don't realise the role they play in them, or how influenced they are by them. So let me start with my understanding of Dave Moore Esquire, all right? Okay, go for it. Which is, um, uh, what I know of you is that you went to Belvedere College, right? Yeah. So quite a good Dublin school. Um, you went to Trinity College and got a degree, I think, in business and Russian, or certainly you can speak Russian. You've done your research. You're spot on. Yeah, business studies in Russian language, yeah. Okay. So that's uh, presumably a decent leaving cert, uh, a good college degree. Then I have a little bit of a scene missing because I know you're a musician, but I don't know how that plays in with how you ended up on the radio, which I think was kind of... Uh, a weird experiment where they threw you and a comedian who is obviously now um, Dermot together and the rest as they say is history but yeah. from my point of view that makes you know uh, respectable to good school good college uh, some success in the music industry or something like that and a very successful radio career so objectively and probably subjectively speaking I would say that you've led a pretty successful life and probably correct me if I'm wrong, been successful in just about everything you've turned your hand to, although you might be too modest to say that. Um, I, yeah, I would certainly hope not to come across as saying, yeah, I'm so great, I should get both parachutes. But um, I definitely have been really lucky, I think, that I've been allowed by people around me, but also circumstance, to, to make choices that were maybe a little bit um, unconventional and that's led me to a successful life in general, a successful career, yes. Um, and then a successful, you know, existence, I think. Um, but it, yeah, it's, it's, been, it's been a series of, yeah, I mean, people do hear about my degree and the decision at 18 to study Russian and therefore, you know, have to live in Russia at the age of 20 and all this kind of stuff. So, yeah, there, there, there's a lot of... Um, and so I'm then, you know, making the next decision to to kind of put all that on hold and and study jazz and become a musician and my parents pulling their hair out and all that kind of stuff. So, but I, but I was allowed to do it, and it all has kind of led to to now, I guess, and to where the radio's been for the guts of twenty years. Yeah. Okay. So let's let's go back then. Um, so when you decide to turn your hand to something you know are you all in is that like so you say you decided to be a musician how long had you been playing music if we just focus on the music thing for a bit and, and talk me through that because maybe that's yeah. a lesser known thing to some people and something we can poke around the edges of yeah so look I, I basically fell in love with heavy metal at the age of 11 my my older cousins in Limerick uh, introduced me to it and I just couldn't believe that there was a music form this extreme and 
it was let's see if i was 11 it was 1986 and i had heard it was metallica's kill em all was the album and i just yeah, I just was up until this point unaware of anything other other than I suppose rock music in the charts at the time. Uh, you know, a bit of Queen, and you know, I might have heard a Kiss song, but I certainly hadn't heard anything like this. So, thrash metal was just it just I don't know lit a spark in me, and I immediately wanted a guitar. I, I kind of felt like I have to play this music. Not like it wasn't kind of oh I wonder what it's like to play that. It was like this I don't know guitarist or well. Musicians often talk about it like a moment, but like it was just this moment where I realized I have to be able to make that sound somehow. So uh, distorted electric guitar was obviously the answer. Um, around the same time, I did start in Belvedere and I met up with a guy from, I was from Port Marnock, he was from Sutton. Uh, so we lived at the same neck of the woods and he also liked Metallica, but he also introduced me to other things and he already played the guitar. And so I kind of had a, a peer who who was the same, you know, had the same interests as me. And then gradually as school went on, I found more and more people who liked that. And then we formed bands. And so by the time I went to college, uh, I was a street busker, uh, as successful as a street busker can be, I guess. Like, in other words, I would, instead of having a summer job, I would busk on Grafton Street and make possibly more money than my friends who, you know, worked in the local spa or McDonald's or their dad's insurance company or whatever it was. So I was having the crack and realized you can actually make a living in music. Um, then by the time college started, we were in a pretty serious band. There was a development deal of sorts, uh, nothing major, but enough to get us into the studio. And then I realized very quickly that as soon as I got to the studio, I was like, oh my God, this is it. So forget touring, forget trying to control sound levels on a terrible PA system in the Grattan in Cable Street. Uh, I want to be sitting in a chair in the studio making incredible sounds and make stuff sound amazing. And uh, so that, that was my next aim. At the same time, my parents were like, look, you know, you need to get a degree and you can do anything you want after you get your degree. So I held them to it. I finished my degree. I got offered a job in Russia, in Moscow, at, at the tender age of 22. It was an incredible job, incredible opportunity. Um, and I turned it down and I told my parents I wanted to go to New Park Music Center in Black Rock and study professional jazz. And they said, okay, we did say we'd support you. Um, so I did that for a year. Um, I think the logic there, Brian, was that like, I was so focused on academia. I don't, sorry, I don't mean that like, the, oh, I studied everything and I got it first. I don't mean that, but I just, I mean, I was in the world of academia for, for four years after, six years after, eight years of school. So it was all my kind of mind had known and music was a thing on the side. And I thought that if I just dropped all that and just started going to my bedroom and writing songs, I wasn't sure how comfortable I'd be or how motivated I'd be. So I figured studying something for a year, music would be a smart way of getting slowly kind of reducing the academia and upping the creativity and yeah then for five years i i just wrote and produced pop music and music to hire whatever somebody needed i was the guy who who did it and i just worked really hard on that um and part of my when you're when you work for yourself in that type of industry you you know you effectively have a recording studio and this was I suppose 97, 98, 99, 2000, like, you know, it was there, like late noughties, early, or late 90s, early 90s. Recording software wasn't what it is now. Like by having a recording studio, I was a guy people went to. So a lot of the comedians uh, and actors would need, you know, voiceover showreels or they want to record something for a live show or something and they would come to me. So I was recording voiceovers for people and putting them together and then somebody said to me hey why don't you do one you're always doing kind of cartoony voices and accents and you speak languages and so i did and my first job was a pizza delivery guy i think it was a domino's ad it might have been apache pizza anyway one of them and it was kind of the mr simpson guy the fast food kid and then the next call i got was a long and strange interview process for what turned out to be radio but i had no idea and I took a six-month contract, and that was 18 years ago. Okay. There, there, there's, there's a lot of what you said there. there. <laughs> um, so 
you're probably of no doubt you're aware of this concept of the 10,000 hours uh, as a kind of you know how to master a craft right when you decided to uh, learn the guitar what was what was your process looking back on it like you know did you do it every day at a set time every spare minute you know for example I, I I tell you why I ask okay so I'm coming at this from the kind of having read tons of books and tons of science and tons of research and habits and what interests me about you is I know now that you do things uh, probably as I say without thinking that are uh, really good for creating habits. So one thing that they would say about creating a strong habit is to make it obvious, to make it easy, and to make it accessible. And I know that in your house, for example, now, all your guitars are easily accessible. They're, they're, they're part of the furniture. They're on display. Yeah. So, you know, it's very easy for you to practice. You don't have to go and take your guitar out or set things up. Now, you know, whether that's an accident of history or whatever else, it lends itself to the guitar being continuing to be a big part of your life um was it always like that so you know if it was a piano someone who wanted to be good at it might practice chords the whole time you know might be just in that sense or or listening to music the whole time trying to figure out how to play songs you know what was the practice what was the how did you go about getting good at this stuff i guess is where i'm trying to get to yeah so i think uh, there's no musical history in my family. Like nobody, there was no, you know, sing songs around the piano or, you know, my dad was a folk musician or any of that stuff. There, there was musical appreciation. My dad loved music and he would put on his records at the weekend and uh, he would always have a tape in the car or whatever. So I was kind of aware of it, but th- there wasn't any performance side of it. And then when heavy metal came along, and I met my friend Dunica, it just, it became an obsession. But I suppose whether it was through realizations, like self-realization a little bit later down the road, I was, I was never a master at the guitar. And what I mean by that is, and this kind of applies across the board to, to kind of, I do, I do a lot of things, but I do a lot of things to, uh, inverted commas good level and I'm quite happy at that as opposed to being a master at one or two things like so I was never the best guitarist in of my peers by a long shot I was if, if you think of a heavy metal band it's usually a rhythm guitarist and a lead guitarist I was absolutely the rhythm guitarist like 100% now I would do that as well as I could I would learn the riffs I would practice non-stop to make sure that my band could rely on me but I would never kind of think to myself okay well if I spent another you know 10,000 hours or 5,000 hours or whatever I'll, I'll, I'll be good enough to be the, the lead guitarist I just didn't have that kind of ambition uh, and so the routine of practice would have been one born out of just like interest and desire and all I wanted to do was learn how to play the next Metallica song, the next Slayer song, the next Testament song, whatever it was, and playing by ear. So on a tape deck, hitting play, listen to the thing, hitting pause, hitting rewind, listen to it again, hitting play, hitting pause, hitting run. And then, yeah, repeatedly just practicing and practicing until that muscle memory builds up. And then it's funny, like, as you, you described, like, I've been playing guitar since I was 12, so reveal my age to your listeners that's now 33 years of my life I've been playing guitar and I still play the riffs I learnt between 12 and 15 today without thinking about that in other words like it's not that I can't learn more stuff of course I can and I do and and I listen to you know new metal as in you know I mean N-E-W not N-U metal but N-E-W metal and I would go oh that's interesting I might learn how to play that but really you know, I'll do it for a few minutes and then I'll go back to playing the opening riff on Metallica's debut record release in 1983 because that's that's where all that muscle memory, that's where all that practice led me and that's where that kind of pleasure is derived from from doing that. So, uh, so yeah, so it was, it, it was all, the guitar was always there, but I also did a lot of other stuff. Like I played sports, I hung around with my friends. It wasn't a kind of an obsessive thing where... I locked myself in my bedroom for five years until I was, you know, better than Mark Knopfler. Like that, like that wasn't where it was. It was a balanced thing of 
every time I got the chance to play the guitar, I would, but it wasn't all consuming. Yeah. Well, what's, what's kind of interesting about it, the re- I mean, we could probably have this conversation in respect of any of your kind of career stages, but uh, the, the guitar just lends itself to the, the discussion on habits because um, the result of the deliberate practice, so like these phrases that you, you, you use when you're talking about habits, so it's kind of like um, deliberate practice plus habit equals mastery. These are the kind of, you know, Americanized terms that get bandied around. Um, and then muscle memory, you know, the equivalent phrase in, in, in habit speak would be automaticity. Mm. Um, and, and it's kind of, it, it, it's in a way, it's a good metaphor for pretty much any habit you want in your life. So, you know, if you do something enough, um, then uh, you go into autopilot. So like you could you could play those songs presumably in gigs or in your bedroom and have a conversation at the same time or, or you know, effectively multitask in the same way that you can drive and talk at the same time or, or anything like that. Absolutely. You're, you're, you're spot on. It's, it's, I guess it's kind of part of, um, it becomes part of you. It's not, it's not something you do. It's something you are. And, uh, you know, if, if there is an improv situation, I'm absolutely comfortable in that from a musical point of view. Uh, again, part of the the, the, the the year spent studying the professional jazz musicianship thing, you know, improv is a massive part of that. When you're in a band and you're rehearsing, you, you practice your songs and then you go off for 20 minutes and everyone improvs different things or whatever. So I'm comfortable there. But I suppose, yeah, that those kind of um, inbuilt reactions almost to picking up a guitar are are sufficiently ingrained that you're not... You're well able to have a conversation. You're well able to do something else, watch telly, you know, with the subtitles on or whatever while I'm blasting Slayer through a guitar amp. Absolutely, I can do that. Uh, it always seems, I, I always think it's funny that, you know, given the pop radio that you ended up in, that, that death metal and heavy metal are your, your yeah. weapon of choice. Yeah, but don't um, forget as well, sorry, I, mu- I must point this out though, but the only other music that I've ever felt hugely passionate about and I don't mean like look there's that wonderful phrase people use of like I like all types of music and they do oh really what do you like well I like um, Enya and I like uh, Coldplay and I <laughs> like I'm, I'm not using that type of phrase but I I do enjoy most styles of music and I can appreciate from my years spent taking those styles of music apart and putting them back together again uh, you know and writing songs and where I can appreciate kind of most most endeavors but i do only really have true passion for thrash metal death metal speed metal whatever you want to call that end of things and genuinely the other thing that i feel passionate about is full-on pop i mean like the like backstreet boys nsync and i you know and i don't just mean i like listen to them in the car i mean i spent my career trying to put myself in a situation where i would be the next guy who would write those songs I was on the way, I wasn't anywhere close, but I was on the way that my, my kind of five year, 10 year plan had a trajectory and then radio came in and, and messed it all up. So I, while I work in commercial pop music and yes, I do play, you know, U2 and Coldplay and, you know, whatever else, I would feel much more strongly about, like I would punch the desk in glee if I see Backstreet Boys on the, on the uh, playlist, as opposed to something some people might think i like i enjoy rock i don't rock is fine like if i see acdc on players i'm actually kind of going eh, whatever like i'm not into that i'm into slipknot and i'm into s club seven do you know what i mean nsync pop great tune absolutely and one of the greatest pop albums of all time is celebrity the song of that song um okay uh it, like the, the uh, what what as I expected, this conversation could go in many different directions. I'm going to stick with the music for a second because another thing that you said that uh, is quite important in the development of habits is um, what they what you might call your tribe or finding your, your place. Mm. Uh, and so a habit is far more likely to stick if you're in an environment where um, that habit is appreciated or praised or, or whatever else. So, for example, if you were in Belvedere and no one else was into death metal or you hadn't found those people or ended up with those people, you know, 
would that habit have kept would you have ended up in the bands would you know so finding that finding your tribe and and, and finding uh, so it's like people joining you know the right gym or the white right weight loss class or or, or uh, uh, becoming part of an environment that works to motivate them in the direction they're going uh, is really important and again i, I don't think you were thinking uh, if I if I if I hang around with this guy, my habit's going to stick. But I suspect that the effect of it was, in a way, that I think you're absolutely right. Yeah, um, having, as you said, somebody else, be it one person or in my case, I was lucky. As I said, there were there were five, there were ten people, there were however many people who were were, were into this kind of stuff and and into playing it and into putting you know people making says, well, look, I'll play the bass or I'll sing or I'll play the drums or whatever. Um, it it fostered that kind of um, I don't know that kind of community spirit that exists in in probably all genres of music, maybe except for like you know pop pop. But like kind of if if you find yourself if you if you're a rocker or if you're a a goth or if you're into rave or whatever it is, you you kind of you find people. Oh, there's a community around this, and certainly that was the case for me. That by having people around me who appreciated the same music and then when you could play a riff and you could, hey, I learnt the new, that, that seventh track on the Testament record, listen to this and you'd play it and people would be like, whoa, that's cool. Show me that bit. I don't know, you know. So then there's this kind of collective um, bettering of each other without it being anything you ever think of because you're a teenager. But certainly I am, an, I am absolutely the musician I am today because of the time I spent in my early teens in these bands where people were better than me or, or I was better than them at one thing. And they, you know, like, so that collaborative kind of, uh, I suppose, understanding and deconstructing of the music and then putting it back together, that was such an important part of me now being able to to do what I do uh, musically and do what I've done musically for 20 years or whatever, 30 years nearly. Um, it's yeah, that's definitely a huge part of it. And I think I, yeah, I don't know if, if that wasn't there. No, I don't think I, I think I still would have learned the guitar because metal had that, that influence on me at that time. And I, I, I think I still would have, yeah, well, I would have become good on the guitar, I think, but I don't think I would have gotten to the level I got to without the extra motivation of those people around me. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think you're right, uh, but like I would, because that, that's my angle, I guess. And I'm just kind of, what I'm interested in is uh, how, how what, I, what I'm, where I am at the moment is a real fascination with um, the way we just kind of do this stuff. And, you know, the, these new scientific research that are coming out saying the, the 40 to 70% of our daily actions are habitual or automatic or done uh, subconsciously. And what, you know, if we were aware of it, what, what would we do? Or, you know, would we be better? Would we be worse? What could we change? What could we do? Um, and so, You'll see um, if you like Google habits of successful people, healthy people, uh, effective people, uh, a load of habits that, you know, the common wisdom now says are, are the things that successful people do. And one of the things I found interesting is asking the people I'm talking to, you know, like how many of these things just out of curiosity do you do? So, for example, uh, successful people apparently uh, tend to read a lot. They tend to have a morning routine where they have time alone and um, they tend to do some sort of mindfulness or meditation, uh, exercise, get out in nature, journaling, showing appreciation, uh, having sort of a gratitude practice. Um, you know, some of it sounds very American, very kind of like, you know, I'm grateful for this, I'm grateful for that. But, you know, how many of those ring true for you, just of the ones I've just randomly listed? Um, okay, so I do, so I get up very early and, and go to work. I don't get up very early and uh, you know, spend time alone. I, I get up, I jump in the shower, uh, I brush my teeth, and I head out the door. So uh, my day, my office day starts around seven. There's no, not it's not like a clock in thing. So it could be a quarter past seven or whatever. Um, but what I tend to do is get to work a little bit early uh, and park 
in the car park and meditate every day. So there, there are, I suppose there are two things there. I do spend time alone in the morning and time to myself in the morning. Uh, and I also meditate. So definitely those things are true. Um, what else did you say? Is this, um, so there's there's read well. Oh, reading, what yeah, yeah. yeah, reading. Yeah, I, I can absolutely dispel that myth. No, I read next to nothing. Um, I was a really avid reader as a kid, uh, and at some point in my adult life, I think it was when I discovered sitcoms. Uh, and obviously, I mean, I was aware of sitcoms as as a kid. Everyone is, but uh, when I met my now wife, then girlfriend. She introduced me to I'm Alan Partridge, and I had never heard I'm seen I'm Alan Partridge before. Um, but I that awakened in me just an absolute adoration of the sitcom format and its kind of 26 minute uh, hilarity, and then moving you know everything resets and you move on to the next one. Um, and then I just consumed sitcoms just voraciously on dvd because that was that was the year it was and i would just buy them and, and watch them over and over and over again um so that i think that kind of replaced reading and then now because of the i suppose the world we live in i am a huge youtube watcher uh and i will watch things usually in one and a half or 1.75 speed with subtitles um, so I guess I'm kind of reading that, um, but I'm certainly not sitting down every night with a book or a newspaper in the afternoon or whatever it is. No, I I, I definitely but, do not do that. But I think probably when when people say reading, it, it it's more learning. So it, okay. it's a, it, you know okay. it's it's usually less fiction. It's more uh, you know constantly trying to learn new things or you know yeah. be informed yeah. that yeah. kind of thing yeah you've got you've got me there because that that i think is 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 a key element in my overall contentment is to constantly be lear- constantly be learning something so i speak russian but i also speak a, a few other languages and i will you're a polyglot well, yeah, I'm not sure how many you need to be fluent in to call yourself a polyglot, but I certainly do enjoy, I really enjoy the process of learning a language. Like, I feel like, I, like ab- I abnormally enjoy it. I remember in school, like, by the time I did, by the time I was in transition year, I already knew I was getting A1 in French and the leaving. There wasn't, like, it was, wasn't, I, wasn't, I didn't have to even think about it. But then I just really enjoyed then taking apart the language and, getting even nerdier than my teachers were and learning quirks of the subjunctive in different regions in France. I was just, I was just super nerdy about that. Um, it was also it is the amazing reason, you found a wife really in many ways. Yeah, no, it really is. <laughs> um, then I also, by the time I went to college, for example, choosing the Russian was because I had already, I did German up to my intercert and I did uh, French with the leaving cert. Um, and Trinity only had three options. They had business studies in French, business studies in German, business studies in Russian. And so all like lots of my friends who were going were going, well, I'm I'm really good at French, I want to do French. And my attitude was like, no, I don't I don't want to like coast through four years. I want to try something completely different. Like I already speak French. My German's adequate. That's fine. Like let's do something else. So that's where I jumped into the Russian thing. And then since then I've added Czech and Spanish and a few other ones as well, just now to varying degrees of fluency. But I, I do really enjoy that kind of process. And then I also love making things, physically making things like, you know, DIY stuff. Uh, I, again, I learned when I left left my parents' house and, and moved into town, my girlfriend, my dad laughed at me and said, look, you know, you can't hang a picture. What are you going to do? And I was like, I'll give you a ring. He goes, I'm not driving into town to hang a picture. You've got to learn yourself. Um, and I said, ah, sure, I'll just call the man. And then my, my wife or my girlfriend at the time was like, just hang it and like try it. And I was like, well, what happens if I make a hole in the wall? She's like, just move it an inch to the left and cover the hole. And I don't know what it was about that sentence, but I just went, oh, right. You can make a mistake and then fix the mistake. So I just, yeah, from then on, I just, I just love just wood and tools and metal and starting off with just the raw ingredients and ending up building something. And I've done that a lot since. So yeah, I do. I love to learn new skills but again like i said before not to master them like so in other words i'm not the best woodworker my finishes aren't great but in terms of constructing something like i built a 
a playroom at the back for the kids and a shed, you know, cedar clad thing that people pay tens of thousands of euro for. I built it for a fraction of the cost because I did it myself. Um, we needed a porch. In the Are front you of available house. for hire? I am. I'm hugely <laughs> expensive, but I am available. <laughs> uh, but we needed a porch in our house, so I built the porch and, you know, put in gla- glass windows and put in the door and built the floor. And like, so I love doing this kind of stuff and, and, and uh, you constantly kind of, I suppose, yeah, learning learning a new development in in whatever sphere is 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 interesting me at the moment. I I've also been lucky enough to build guitars to combine two worlds um, uh, with, with a guy who does custom built guitars in in uh, in Mayo. But it's gone from me ordering one from him to me going down for four days and starting off with a plank of wood and ending up. I mean, effectively building it myself. Obviously, he's there to oversee and make sure I'm not making any huge errors. But, but you know what I mean. So, so that kind of stuff really excites me. So then, if I go onto YouTube, I will absolutely watch and learn a way to better my DIY skills or my guitar building skills or my linguistics or whatever it is. You know, I I, I will do that a lot as opposed to just you know aimlessly scrolling through dude perfect videos, which I also do. Um. <laughs> I, I the two two things I'm I'm going to do now. Uh, one is for purely um, personal reasons that you're starting to make me feel very bad about myself and my life because I um, <laughs> clearly haven't been putting in the effort. Um, so can I ask? Is there any uh, habit that you've tried to either take up? Or to quit, so you know, like whether it was a diet thing or you know smoking or anything like anything that you have tried to take up or quit that you haven't been able to do or that you've really struggled with, but maybe have managed to do. Good question. Um, no, I, I'm I, I'm not a. I don't smoke. I never never smoked, so I didn't. I never had that to give up. I definitely, yeah, I definitely uh, got got overweight in the kind of about five six years ago like um and then went into had a friend of mine who was a personal trainer and he was always asking to train me anyway uh, and then when i started to train with him i, I got super into the i will a piece of sugar will never pass my lips again you know and for six months or a year or whatever maybe more i was you know super focused on you know protein in go to gym you know become better stronger faster whatever and I gave that up, but I gave that up consciously. I know that doesn't like I quit it consciously. What I mean, what I mean by that is like I gave up the kind of obsessive part of that. And what I decided to do was um, f- just find I don't know, like not quite Happy life. Middle ground. Well, yeah, not quite life is too short. Do whatever you want. I don't mean that flippantly, but I suppose. I realized that food for me isn't fuel. It's absolute pleasure. Like I absolutely love food. And I don't mean I want to sit there and eat, you know, drink two liters of Coke and drink, and eat a pizza every day. But what I mean is like, I'm not going to deny my, I don't want to feel like I need to deny myself of that if, if it um, presents itself. Uh, by the same token, I also enjoy, do enjoy going to the gym. And so, you know, I want to go and, and do that but I want to do it on on terms of enjoyment and not terms of achievement and trying to do a certain thing or, or get a certain thing or lift a certain weight which for a long time I did and I enjoyed it at the time but just I think you know looking I looked at it at one point and went you know what there's a better way of doing this for me and the better way of doing that for me is to to go to the gym you know not three times a week maybe not even once a week uh, and then to just basically eat a normal enough diet of good stuff, bad stuff, and enjoy the good stuff, enjoy the bad stuff, and not give it too much thought. And that has led to a lot more contentment, I think, as well. Yeah. I You said a word there that really stood out for me, and I'm wondering, like, if I asked your wife to describe you in a word, would the word she used be obsessive? um i don't know if obsessive is because obsessive to me feels kind of singular 
like uh, yeah it possibly sorry obsessive sounds a little unhealthy but maybe focused like when you decide you're doing something it sounds to me like you're pretty much all in yeah but i suppose you're right but but i suppose like i use dermot as an example my co-host like he's laser focused in other words what i'm like that there's positives and negatives to that like he can whatever topic even whether it's an interview we're about to do or a comedy sketch we want to write or a comedy show we're putting on he will he can think through every single possible permutation of what could happen and he can weed out the 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 not so great outcomes focus on the positive ones and do everything but at the same time his hair could be on fire and he wouldn't notice because he's focused on that do you know what i mean whereas yeah. what i think my my focus skills are I am able to focus, but I'm also very general. In other words, so for example, in, in our radio studio, and you'll understand this maybe a bit more than your listeners, but I'm the one who drives the desk. I sit in the chair. I have all the faders in front of me. I have the computers, the mouse, the, you know, so everything that needs to be done hands-on, I'm doing at the same time as presenting, whereas Dermot has a screen in front of him or a piece of paper and his, and his microphone. And that suits our dynamics so well because you know, him having the distraction of having to do all other stuff isn't going to work. Whereas I naturally can focus on several things at the same time. And I think that is applicable in my life in the sense that I will quite happily be like, I think I said this earlier on, like I'll be, I'll be good at going to the gym and I'm, I, I'm strong and I can lift up weights off the ground and I am good at playing the guitar and I am good at building things and I am good at speaking languages but none of those things singularly becomes an obsession. In other words, like I'm not focused on, I want to be a polyglot and speak 25 languages fluently. Like, sure, like that would be great, but but I, I'd be much happier also playing the guitar, also coaching my kids' football team, and also building the porch. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. And I, there's a lot of um, science as well. It's a, probably a conversation for a different uh, a different day, but that, you know, that the world at the moment belongs to the generalist. So, um, you know, you're better being uh, good or maybe very good at lots of things. Uh, whereas before, I think it was seen as a weakness, you know, the, the, the phrase, and it was said of me a lot, like I'm hearing a lot of, uh, I feel like a, I'm a, a poor man's Dave Moore. I'm hearing a lot of my uh, <laughs> self in you where, you know, a, a jack of all trades and master of none. And that, that I think was always used as a slightly disparaging oh. uh, way that, you know, he could never focus on one thing long enough to be brilliant at it because he was distracted by something else. And he used to drive my mum to her edge of reason because I would get very good at something. Uh, like, for example, just, you know, for, for comparison purposes, my sport and people openly mock it. I don't know why, but they do. was badminton. Yeah. And uh, I was very good at it. And I got onto the Leinster squad and I was playing at a very, very high level. And then I just went, yeah, no, I'm not enjoying this anymore. I'm out. And I just stopped. Like, cold turkey went, yeah, I'm not doing that anymore. And yeah. part of it was... Uh, I was, and, and interestingly now, what I what I realized I was doing was I was developing uh, habits that were good for the game, but they were no crack. So yeah. what I mean by that is I was playing uh, 12 hours badminton a weekend. So 7 to 10 in the morning uh, and 7 to 10 at night, Saturday and Sunday. And then I was playing lots during the week as well. But th this was just my, my moment. And I would say of those 12 hours... Uh, at the weekend maybe six to seven of them were just doing footwork yeah. so i wasn't actually hitting anything i wasn't doing what didn't even have a racket in my hand for most of it and i just went what the fuck am i doing i didn't take up this sport to be shadow playing they used to call it shadow badminton so you'd have you know one of your teammates standing there pointing to different corners of court and you'd have to do your footwork over and back yeah. and when i look back now i'm just like well i'm not surprised i quit that's rubbish but if you wanted to kick on to the next level, like the Scott Evans or the Chloe, um, what's her name? You know, you had to have the automaticity to know if I need to get from here to there in that corner of the court, I don't, I can't be thinking about it. It's too slow. I can't be running around. I have to automatically do that footwork. And like in sport, that's what it takes, that level of, 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 habitual uh, exercise that you don't think about how to get from one place to the other you just do it 
Yeah, and I, I made an involuntary noise in there in the middle of your talk there when you said, uh, you know, jack of all trades was a was a kind of was often viewed as a negative. Like, I, I could literally not describe myself any better than a jack of all trades, master of none. Like, and I would be really proud of that. Like, and and I would reject anybody who says that it's a negative. Look, obviously, if you want to be a neurosurgeon or a you know, first violinist in an orchestra or whatever, you absolutely need that obsessive focus to become a master of that. But as a normal human in normal, not extreme circumstances, like 99% of us live our lives, I think being a jack of all trades is absolutely the best way to go about doing things. And it's certainly something I will always pursue myself and I would encourage anyone who listens to me in particular I'm thinking of my own four children that I will you know encourage them to to try everything do do a bit of everything find stuff you enjoy and then do it for a while do it to a level and then find something else to, that means you don't necessarily I mean, maybe you went so high with Babington that you needed to drop it but that like you know maybe if you hadn't gone quite Leinster level if you just really enjoyed it you might have not focused on all you know, six, seven hours of footwork and you might have just played it you know, a little bit more. And I would kind of hope that I'd be able to let them see that you know, if they want to play soccer, that they can also learn the guitar and they can also be a YouTuber and they can also do whatever. You know, that, that it's not, one doesn't have to exclude the other. You know, that would definitely be a, if people ask me what I want to you know, see develop in my kids, absolutely that's the kind of thing. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it's it's interesting uh, in a general sense uh, anyway, it, it, because you, you find that like people will say that the reason we're not uh, a, a, an even better rugby nation is because of the GAA and because people are either forced to because of their primary school or whatever. They play too many sports, basically. If we were like New Zealand and it was either you play rugby or you're playing the wrong sport, yeah. we would be the best rugby team in the world. But, you know, at what cost? Um, I suppose from from... The, in the context of this conversation, um, which is, you know, trying to understand habits in a conversation with someone who doesn't really think about them or hasn't really think about habits, can we just focus on the time that you did uh, go to get fit and go to the gym? Because that's one of the most common uh, habits that people want, uh, exercise or healthy mm. life or whatever. Um, and I'm just wondering, did you do uh, any of the things that someone who's trying to build that habit would typically do so for example there is um scientific research that says uh, well there's scientific research that says the further away from the gym you are the less likely are you are to go and like in a way that's common sense and mm. um, but you know if the gym that you go to happens to be on the way to or from work you're you're more likely to go so things like this and um, if if you are uh going to go to the gym putting out your gym clothes in a bag the night before or putting them in the front of the door or, or these kinds of things so again from the point of view of someone who wasn't thinking about this at the time i'm just interested in actually how it happened and part of it i guess is again that you had the the the, the tribe uh, in terms of your friend who was a personal trainer you had the motivation and then i wonder did you so one thing we haven't touched on in any of our discussion is is what they call an accountability partner and um, someone that holds you to account and a lot of people i've spoken to for this podcast because of the industry we're in uh, their accountability partners are effectively social media so they say i'm going doing this thing or i'm getting fit and then they post the videos on social media and it kind of keeps them in check or to account because they they feel a responsibility or they feel a you know uh I can't, you know people are going to say your man's supposed to be losing weight and he's as yeah. big as a house whatever it is so maybe just to just in general terms talk about when you were getting fit how you went about it and and see from my curiosity if these hab habitual patterns or or processes that i believe uh exist or should be in place were yeah um I think they probably were. So basically, yeah, I, I my, my my friend was like, you know, I eventually gone to him and go, right, you know, I'm 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 t I think it was ten kilos heavier than I thought I was, um, and I didn't feel or even look that different, um, but I realized that, well, if that's what ten kilos does, maybe twenty, I might feel a little bit terrible, and then I'd be 
you know, approaching 40 and, you know, su- supremely overweight. So I suppose, yeah, I went to him a- a- after his kind of constant pushing of me to, to go. And he just wanted to, I think he saw in me, like, I, I was, yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, he did. Because, but also I think he saw in me the potential that I had as a, as a kid. So basically I, I was in, another thing I did uh, when you were playing badminton, I was a 110 meter hurdler. And I, again, went Leinster, and I think I held the Leinster record for a while. Um, and I did my SATs and very, actually, I, no, I'm not, I can't say I got a scholarship. I got the offer of potentially getting a scholarship to go to a, an Ivy League school in the US. Um, and I had no intention of going. And I just went to Trinity with my friends and stayed at home and mammy washed my underpants and stuff. So. Yes, exactly. But, uh, but, but yeah, so I was, uh, I was always very fit and strong and naturally have one of those bodies that when I go to the gym, you know, I, I very quickly get the right way around as in my waist narrows, and my shoulders broaden and whatever. Um, so I think he saw two things. He saw, yes, definitely. Here's a guy who's overweight and needs to lose weight. But also if I get him into the gym, I think he'll be able to achieve things that, you know, some of my other clients who might be in better shape, you know, will, will struggle to. And uh, so anyway, what happened was in terms of the kind of habits and stuff, like I worked at the... Did you, did you, go, the same, did you go the same days every week, for example? Yes, yes, exactly. So I worked... Oh, I worked on drive, drive time. So that would mean like I was... Yeah, I know what it was. So I was working on drive. So that meant that I didn't have to kind of get up in the morning because like you're not in work until two o'clock or whatever. Uh, But I had a kid and the kid was going to Montessori and whatever. So what I would do is I would get up really early before the kid and I would go to work or I would go to gym, sorry, at like 6 a.m. And I would train for an hour and I would come home at seven and have a shower and breakfast and then my eldest fellow who at the time was the only fellow he'd get up then at whatever time and you know we'd have breakfast and do whatever I'd take him to school I'd sit around with my missus have a chat cup of tea do whatever and then I'd have uh, listen to how easy it was when there was only one. Oh, not only that imagine working on drive like the dream yeah. job like just <laughs> done what time is it one o'clock I suppose I better go to work yeah I suppose you had I'll see you later yeah I'll be back just after seven because that's the time I feel like it's just ludicrous but um but yes, but I would go three times a week. I'd go Monday, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 6 a.m. to 7 a.m. And everything was a routine. So like you said, putting out the clothes. Now, I wasn't putting the clothes out for motivation, but I was putting the clothes out because I didn't want to be bouncing around the room at, at 5.55. You know, I wanted to just walk quietly out the door so I can wake up my wife and then and then head off. But absolutely, that okay, one. But can, but can I just stop you there, though? Because, mm-hmm. again, I, I, and and I'm not trying to force you into saying, Jesus, do you know what, Brian, you're right. It's all good habits all the time. Yeah. But the, the difficulty is, it, it, for, for Joe Public, who isn't uh, Dave Moore, is that they don't put the clothes out the night before, right? And then when they wake up, they go, oh, I don't want to wake my wife, and I'm a bit tired, and I'm a bit this, and they miss a day. Yeah. Uh, my guess is you never missed a day. Would that be right? Yeah, absolutely right. Never, never. Now, look, I was also doing a one-on-one and maybe sometimes a two-on-one class. So if I missed a day, I would be letting this guy down who who was my trainer, but also was my was my mate. But yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Like I I I didn't miss a day of training, and I didn't when I got into the food habits, I didn't deviate and I didn't miss a meal or a snack and I didn't change. I didn't give in and I didn't have a, a biscuit or whatever, you know? Yeah, no, I, I, I was habitual in those things. And, and the, the habit end of it comes very naturally to me and very easily to me. And Dermot, again, if he was listening to this, he'd be laughing. Like I eat the same breakfast every single day. Cause now I work the opposite end of the clock. I mean, as I said, around seven, uh, we start at nine and at about 8.45, I have the same porridge and honey and cinnamon that I've had every single day for I don't know how many years. And then at lunch, he likes to slag me as well because I pretty much eat the same lunch every day at the same time. And if any of those things are out of kilter, my day doesn't feel right. Um, and so there are lots of, th- I even probably 
timetable allowing go to the toilet at the same time during the three hours I'm on radio at the same point in the show every day. So absolutely, you know, he, he would definitely say I'm a, an absolute creature of habit. I suppose I've never really thought about it other than, you know, to, to kind of give as good as I get when someone's slagging me. But yeah, you know, your your discussions have revealed to me that absolutely there there is success in me through habit and there I mean success I don't mean radio words I mean just like daily just my day feeling right is is through habits absolutely it is very quickly because I don't wanna, I don't want to take up too much of your time but um like in in from my experience so what I've discovered um myself is that the time when I was my most uh, productive uh, ever was actually my leaving cert that that's the most structure i've ever had in my life in terms of getting up at the same time every day going to school at the same time coming home at the same time studying at the same time a very definite goal the best results i could get in the leaving cert like all the i didn't realize at the time but everything was aligned perfectly and i was that guy who would set out my books the night before who would everything packed you know the uniform would be on the back of the chair and everything just ran like clockwork um i've never uh, gotten back to that <laughs> like you know pe- people i struggled um actually in in when i was in radio um because i had no routine after the show ended yeah. so the the getting up at five o'clock for six years that was all fine and everything ran smoothly until 10 o'clock when i was finished the radio show and i remember a friend of mine asking ironically when you talk about your languages like god you must have learned a new language or something and actually i got fuck all done in the six years i was on breakfast show because without a structure i just seemed to flute about it yeah Um, absolutely and that structure i think is is really important for certain people and certainly for me um, and this this chat has highlighted it even further but certainly for me yeah I would benefit from a, a familiar structure a familiar uh, process of things happening in an order in order as I said for me to not think about it in order for just that's all taken care of because I'm in the structure so yeah I would absolutely feel that um, and then the final thing is, and it, this might seem uh, like an odd question, <laughs> uh, but that has literally never stopped me ever, so it won't now, um, it, it is about your uh, wife uh, and, and the role that she plays in supporting the way you work, I suppose. Because that's been interesting to me. Again, just it wasn't something I thought about before I started the podcast, but as I've talked to more and more people, particularly that role of accountability partner or someone who kind of you know supports you keeps you on the straight and narrow and and how you so everyone i've talked to so far for example anyone who's successful like keith barry's like georgie like whoever i've spoken to so far more or less says they wouldn't be able to do the things they do and be the person they are without the support of their significant other so how does that relationship work in allowing you to do all these things I absolutely would. She's useless and what the hell, she's holding me back. And you absolutely know that that's not true. Uh, yeah, like 100% more than I could ever verbalize um, her role in so, this. I cut across here, sorry, but what was really interesting was that moment of clarity where, you know, you were afraid of doing DIY in case you got it wrong and she just, is she different from you that she would say kind of, you just move to the left, duh. Mm-hmm. You know, like, does she work, uh, her head works slightly different like that? Absolutely it does. And yeah, and there's so many instances of that type of scenario where, uh, where there's a blockage of some sort, whatever it would be, and her brain operates differently than mine. She goes, well, why not this? And even if it's not the answer, it's just that other way of looking at it, that other way of seeing the problem, the incident, the whatever. Um, and, you know, I think without her, I would be a very different person. I know that probably is true of any relationship, but in, in you know, certainly, I, you know, I, I do think about and I'm, uh, you know, aware of the 
the role that she plays and has played over the years in 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 everything like like in for example that that DIY example is a good one but another one would be also be like you know stressing about uh the job uh, you know, radio as you as you well know is a is a pretty flimsy thing to pin a career on because tastes change and you know you can still be very good but you can be irrelevant and you can be very bad and still do what you do or whatever but like you know not to panic you dave but that's why i left (laughs) you're a smart man smarter than i am but like you know yeah the reality is that you know it's not a career that offers much in terms of job security you just you just go you lurch kind of ratings book to ratings book and and hope that they always stay positive thankfully so far it's been all right but you know her attitude when I would be worried about things like that, or or worried about moving show or moving station or whatever, her attitude was always like, "Well, what does it matter? Like, you'll you'll do this or you'll do that. You'll get this job or you'll do something else." And that kind of, I mean, she's not flippant with you know with those that stuff, but I suppose it because I would be maybe more cautious about certain things she would lean towards the more flippant and therefore there's a balance to be struck in between and that applies not just to to career but it kind of applies to our relationship so you know like in 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 any any circumstance where there's a tough decision to be made and that might be where do we put the door on the showroom i built for the kids or you know it might be where's your next job going to be or it might be uh, what are you going to do with your parents at the weekend or what, you know, whatever it is, I suppose that, that opposite, not opposite view, but that alternative view that she offers me because we operate differently internally is hugely valuable and uh, not something that I, I've, maybe there's been times I've taken it for granted, but certainly of late, I've been very aware that, uh, that it's a, it's a huge part of the success of my life uh, in general not just career but everything is is due to having that alternative view and I suppose you hope your partner will do that and your friends and whatever else and maybe your parents or whoever it is but it's just brilliant to have it uh, so readily available and and to kind of be aware of it and, and be grateful for it um, I, I saw one meme yesterday just to, to wrap up and I'm just curious if it's true because I, I know which one I am but there was a, a meme I saw yesterday which is why is it something along the lines of why is it in every um, relationship there's the neat tidy organized one and the other one um, is, is is are you different like that as well um, yes in the sense that she is ruthless and would happily keep nothing and I am sentimental and find it difficult to throw out an old iPhone box. Um, so I would be organized in that I'd know where everything is, but she would say I'm just hoarding uh, things I don't need, and I don't need to know where the box for the iPad mini we got in 2008 is, but I do know where it is. <laughs> well, I, do you know what? I only threw out my leaving cert notes about two or three years ago. My <laughs> wife is well, like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> and I didn't even throw them all out. I kept some because I was like, that was very good. I'm, I'm quite impressed with that. Well, I'm um, a lot older than you and I still have, and this is no joke because I only found them recently in my parents' attic. I still have my junior infant's copy. Uh, so I am absolutely way worse than that. I still have a lot and I have all of my stuff from college. I'm not sure about the leave and start thing. I definitely think that might might have gone in the bin, but yeah, I'm I'm definitely along those lines. Well, uh, Dave, listen, thank you very much for coming on. I genuinely, it's been fascinating just to kind of uh, explore, uh, you know, how you've gotten where you've gotten and what role habits may or may not have played in them. And the really interesting point about, you know, not being aware of um, the issue of habits uh, is kind of interesting. And I have a a conversation coming up with... uh, the uh, professor of psychology and business in USC, and she's written a book called uh, "Good Habits, Bad Habits." And I'm one. I'm going to ask her specifically, following from this chat, about uh, you know the awareness point and how how much of us how how much we go through life operating in this habit loop or whatever it is without even knowing about it. What I'm kind of interested in from her, and maybe to a small extent from you, is like, would it have would it have messed things up if you'd known? Do you know what I mean? Like if you knew this was all habitual or that you could change it or, you know, that 
you're de designing your environment in terms of you know putting your guitars in a certain place or like you know if you if you took down all your guitars from where they are at home and you put them out in the garage or or put them somewhere else you'd play the guitar less like that's how habits work um but you you wouldn't really think of it no and i i think what i've learned from this chat is how much habits are a part of my current existence but also historical existence and indeed my success but I absolutely was not aware of them. Absolutely, like yes, there are things like as I said, like Dermot has slagged me before about eating the same sandwich every day. So I'm aware of that. But I, I don't. I never thought of the role the habits played in, in you know, in in the success of my existence until we've had this conversation for the last hour and a bit. Um, so yeah, so I, I think. Would it have would it have changed it? I don't know. Maybe maybe it would. I don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't know the answers to that. I'd be interested to hear, to hear what she thinks. But certainly, it, it has been a bit of a blind loop for me. Uh, uh, you know, turning the lens back, I can see it. Um, and maybe subconsciously, I was aware of the, the the habitual nature of things. But certainly, it wasn't it wasn't surface awareness, and I wasn't it wasn't design and it wasn't part of the, the 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 mental process that went into making me who i am it if it was there and it was by the sounds of things having talked to you it, it was it was there at a subconscious level and uh maybe it is the key to everything but it certainly wasn't something i ever gave credence to uh, well, whatever about it, Dave, it seems to be working. So I would suggest keep doing what you're doing. And don't think about it too much. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely won't do that. Uh, I don't know. I never knew about the hurdling. Um, and I, I, like, I'm not being smart now, but if you see Dave, like he's tall, he's like, I don't want to say he's a big dude because uh, that makes him sound like he's like, you know, big in an unhealthy way. But I just wouldn't have <laughs> pictured him as a hurdler. It's neither here nor there. Uh, lovely chatting to Dave as always, and you can catch him on um, Today FM in Ireland, uh, Monday to Friday. Um, so listen, uh, I hope you learned something from the podcast today. Um, maybe it's just that habits play more of a role in your life than you realised, and if that's the case, maybe you'd like to learn more about it. If so, and you haven't learned to uh, uh, haven't listened to any of the other episodes, uh, go back and listen to some of the earlier ones because I started with some that really go into the science of it in a big way. So if you're just starting, back to episode two of this podcast I think is where I would head next uh, and I'll have another episode for you next week thank you and goodbye